I'd like to spend the next several minutes to discuss about some of the overarching themes of this piece, which are so vital in terms of seeing some of the major trends and themes that are happening in the environment that we're living in and effectively kind of condense the understanding that I have of the Asian region or the old world or the East relative to that of the new world or Western civilization as it relates to addressing obviously this pandemic but more importantly, to give you a perspective that I don't know anyone that else is really discussing about that really fits into like the overarching themes that can be highly useful as far as coming up with an investment strategy. So I think that this could be extremely useful. I think that now more so than ever, for you just to be a micro analyst is actually not really going to get you that far, considering that the state is becoming that much more bigger. And as the state is becoming that much more bigger, it is always going to be the macro that leads the micro. And if the macro has the ability to dictate supply and demand, well, good luck on your financial models and assumptions without making the greater assumptions that could be taking place as far as the economy and society is concerned. And let's simply say that the understanding that we have of society can simply be quantified by thinking about it through various different data points and statistics as it relates to that of the economy, both macro and micro. So now that we've been prefaced by that, let, let's discuss about some thematic things that have happened and how this kind of fits with this overall idea that time is a flat circle or in layman's terms, history is repeating itself to some extent. And I think that many people that are well-versed in any of these fields, the field of business, the field of, of finance, should have an understanding of what's really happening. And some of the subject matter that's being discussed about is actually not part of the core curriculum towards even investment analysts, or strategists, or maybe even historians have never thought of it in that context as it relates to world history, world religions, culture, society, and the economy, which in this instance is that much more connected. So let's start off with a simple timeline to understand that prior to the 1700s, global economic growth has kind of been like either at nil or sideways. There's an understanding, or how about this? Let's say postmodernists or progressives think that since 
the beginning that we have effectively been on some kind of like hockey stick curve. But actually the hockey stick curve, as the term indicates, because hockey is not that old, has only been around, or at least ice hockey, let's hedge ourselves by saying ice hockey, has not been around that long. In fact, I would say that, I didn't really go, want to go on this wild tangent, but since we're already there, we might as well do it, is that hockey is a byproduct of Western culture, a Western sport. And the, the analogy for a hockey stick curve to be in the lexicon is a clear demonstration that that level of off-the-chartness has only happened within a short duration of human history towards our understanding. So going back to this idea of like Stone Ages, Dark Ages, there was no growth. And that is very much connected to elements of the old world. Neil deGrasse Tyson actually says that a lot of the Arab world is now in their dark age or in a period of stagnation. No major patents have been filed in that region is what he cites as something that is highly notable. Now, how this is connected to the culture and to religion is clearly a sub-segment of that population. And I guess an overarching theme as far as where they're moving as a society is highly fundamentalist. Hence why you, you see the terrorist activities that we've seen for a better part of the, the last several decades. So take, take that into consideration. Now, going back to pre-1500s, it's important to understand that China was also in its dark age at that period of time. And obviously China is at a phase of growth, at least within the last two decades, in compensation of a century of humiliation as they cite. But this new paradigm that they've taken is an offshoot of the world economic system simply understood or could be understood through global trade that is primarily dominated in US dollar terms, somewhere between 80 to 90%. That is is the pool in which China is playing at currently. So let's take it back again. To understand that there's something highly deep-rooted in terms of the old world and their perception of time. You can ask any entrepreneur, business person, anyone that spends time that does a deep dive in Eastern philosophy, 
I think there's one thing that is that is a consistent amongst all of this is many people will criticize that the West is way too fast paced towards your liking. If you're trying to conduct a deal, it might be a much longer duration as far as the Eastern world is concerned. And, and philosophically, it's because, as we've been told already, is that a lot of these states are looking at things through the eyes of much longer duration. And if you think about Eastern philosophy that, that cites this idea of reaching a stage of enlightenment, it sometimes is multi-generational or even up to a duration of thousands of years to reach the stage of enlightenment. Now, coming out of the, the Dark Ages, we have that period of the Renaissance, which then becomes a precursor to that of the Enlightenment. Now, understand that the Enlightenment, as far as the Western world is concerned, happened in the 1700s. You have the French Revolution, you have the American Revolution. Well, the question that you need to be asking yourself is, what is post the Age of Enlightenment? Well, post that has been this hockey stick curve of organic accelerated growth that is happening in the duration of basically 240 years. 240 years of effectively lifting the standard of living of individuals exfold. We are simply now living better than what the kings have lived in terms of standard of living, even, say, relative to a few centuries ago. That is because of the accelerated growth. It is founded on the mindset that the individual not only should be reaching a stage of enlightenment, but needs to then fulfill next phases once they've reached that stage of enlightenment. And the proof of that is that when one looks at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, what goes often missing is that what is beyond reaching that, that self-actualization and ironically, that term, self-actualization, is so reflective of that element of enlightenment. And then when you take elements of the Renaissance, going back to the 1500s, the 1600s, and the 1700s, when you take elements of the Renaissance and then you finally begin to encode the sciences like you see in the 1600s into the language itself. This is how you start implementing the sciences and maths, the symbolism into the culture itself. 
you want proof of that? Take a look at that US dollar currency and take a look at the symbolism that is involved. And what do you think symbolism is supposed to mean? It's supposed to be these ideograms, basically, that can be simply understood by the visualization and the significance and the meaning of that symbol. This is becoming or, or the foundation of the culture. Now, what you'll also hear about a lot of these dialects, particularly like old world dialects, and by the way, you can see it in the likes of France as well, is how people stereotype certain languages. Um, for example, they, they, let's take the French language. People might say that is a much more romantic language. And what I hear in Asia is many people cite that some of these Asian dialects are less scientific. They're way more leaning towards an element of romanticism, which incites feelings and emotions as opposed to logic and reason, which is the core crux of, again, the Age of Enlightenment, which is founded on the precursors that lead up to that, like you see in the 1500s, the 1600s. And all of that then starts to be foundational to this accelerated growth focused on the individual. Why? Because clearly, if you're talking about the collective, then what's happening is that the individual has no meaning. And you might say, well, that might be fine. We can talk about the collective. The issue then is that the collective lives much beyond the duration of that of the individual. And hence, the significance of accelerated growth is taken out of the equation unless it's done inorganically. And unless it's done through the request of the oligarchs or through centralization. Now, when you think about what's required towards centralization, clearly it implies that a lot of the resources need to be directed towards the centralized economy. Because, of course, that is part of the perspective of the collective. But clearly, since the collective effectively has no name, literally, you do not have the likes of the Waltons, the Rockefellers. You don't hear that in many parts of the world because even the name itself has been distorted towards the collective. And more importantly, is that the individual itself is almost meaningless amongst the grander scheme of things, and more importantly, throughout time. And hence, again, the innecessity for accelerated growth. And if you want a quantifiable piece of evidence for that, you simply need to observe how many of these Confucian cultures that have focused on centralization 
have effectively eradicated the necessity for really being focused on GDP per capita. That's a quantify, quantification of what I'm effectively trying to say, is that irrespective of the multi-thousand-year history, we're getting out of famine and poverty to a slightly uptick in GDP per capita, but nothing remotely close to that of what you might see in societies that are focused on the individual. Because at the end of the day, it's all about the centralization and the greater, the greater good of that. By the way, this creates a great bond investment thesis, by the way. And more importantly, this very idea is now infiltrating the whole world and in an undemocratic manner, even if you live in a democracy, you can clearly see this phenomenon happening within your own debt markets, your, you know, your exacerbated debt, total debt relative to GDP. And more importantly, what's interesting to me is total debt relative to GDP per capita. Again, it's the quantification of these themes as seen economically, which are highly reflective of that of society. Taking a look at the factors that are happening on a macro level as it impacts the micro level. And if one really wanted to think about the fact that history is repeating itself, clearly you can see that when states that are focused on centralization then are being publicized by the mainstream media as a success example, the media then is effectively baiting states that aren't being efficient in excessive lockdowns to behave more like states that have a greater role towards centralization, which implies actually less GDP per capita for the individual, despite the rosy GDP figure or the big GDP figure. And I would even make a statement of saying that inorganic GDP growth rate especially if you compare it relative to total debt. That's the bait of what is actually happening. That bait is forcing undemocratically the erosion of the middle class, which is such a phenomenal figure that people have been talking about for many decades. You, do you want to know what the erosion of the middle class looks like? simply study that of some of these centralized countries in which basically 80% of GDP is dictated through centralization. And then you took, take a look at the remaining 20% of GDP and divvy that up by the total population. That's how you get GDP per capita. What you'll find out is that the GDP per capita underperforms the Western benchmark of, let's say, you know, some countries that might have like you know, 30,000 
GDP per capita. Well, what, what do you see about some of these fast-growing countries that are highly centralized? You're not going to see a figure remotely close to that of 30,000 GDP per capita because all the GDP is effectively orchestrated by the state with massive total debt to GDP figures, sometimes even masked, maybe through, you know, direct or indirect influence by state companies. This is an exacerbated look of what the erosion of the middle class looks like. Undemocratically elected decisions like stimulus are forcing that. And now we even have much simpler terms, essential or non-essential. I segment basically essential as minimum wage. Non-essential is the middle class. And then you have the technocratic elite, which are running things in a centralized manner that is creating these nice GDP figures that may or may not be growing. at the detriment of the populace. And all the numbers seem to back this up. So be cognizant of that. Now, understand though, that the dark ages at least had a black death, where you're looking up to 200 million people that have lost their lives for you to justify a period of darkness and basically nil GDP growth. What's been so fascinating, because narrative so, is so important for investing, but narrative is just so important for everything else, is how the narrative in this instance has overtaken rhyme or reason that has actually been encoded into various different languages. As I highlighted earlier. The key thing is this, is that many people are not asking the central question to a lot of the major issues in our world, like what is the comparable, you know, what relative to what market? That's the first question that we need to be asking. So for example, I had a few people, and I think I'll post some of that as well, discuss to me about climate change, okay? You can duck, duck, go it. I'm not going to say Google it. You can duck, duck, go it, and you'll identify that, oh, wow, over a duration of over a century, like 120 years, we've seen temperatures rise 0.8 degrees, as confirmed statistically. Is that a, a growing number? Yes. Is it a big number? Arguably, yes or no. Is it a pressing issue for today? Some people are going to argue yes. In fact, some people will virtue signal with little children complaining about the necessity on why adults aren't addressing that. Well, clearly you've seen with a, a pandemic that that's been, 
that the back that's gone to the back burner. We can barely understand like, hey, is oil going to be a primary source of energy that we're going to really need a lot? Because how the heck are you supposed to go up the risk curve at less efficient forms of energy when we can barely get even the price of oil understood or stabilized through really understanding what its true supply and demand dynamics are? I'm not saying that these are not problems. I'm not saying that the pandemic is not a problem. But the question is, relative to what? Or at what price? And these are the questions that we should be asking from an element of wisdom. And wisdom is so much more important when knowledge doesn't even have the answers to these elements of risk that we don't have a solution to. So when, for example, this killer virus comes into the world where we have no vaccine, no cure for, what are the wise things to do? And more importantly, when when I look at, as far as it, you know the inception date, let's call it that, right? The founding date of particular nations, we need to understand like what are these nations founded on? Are they founded on wisdom, or are they founded on elements of knowledge or social constructs and knowledge? that sometimes might not be reflective of the true true nature of human beings, which then could be argued as highly unwise. unwise. So those are the things that we need to think about when we are looking at the issues of our time. We understand that you know, dark ages are predicated at very minimal growth. They are led by things like a pandemic, a black plague. Most of that time or the stone ages are led by massive centralization, oligarchs, monarchs, whatever you want to call them. And for a moment of history, we've gone through this age of enlightenment, which is only the beginning. Because the real benefits of the age of enlightenment happen after that, as seen 240 years later. With hockey stick growth curves focused on individual prosperity and individual self-actualization. You want to quantify that? GDP per capita. That's truly self-actualizing, at least your wallet. And now we're at the precipice of this circular logic that could imply, hey, pandemic, pseudo-Black death, further centralization, time is flat, invest wisely.